This is the Commercial Property Show Australia. Show number 64. To understand how to add value, you need to first understand how it is valued. Hey, Commercial Property Crew, thank you so much for joining me again today. My name is Andrew Bean, and this is part two of a webinar that I did on the Oz Property Investors private Facebook group. They do live webinars every Wednesday night. You should go check them out. They're doing awesome things. And in this particular uh, webinar, I actually go really deep into how to add value to industrial property. I break it down into my six easiest ways and I give you the one metric, the one thing that you need to think about and you need to focus on to add value to commercial property. If you get this one thing right, then adding value to commercial property is like gravity. It's a law that cannot be broken. All right, so this is a fantastic episode. Just get this thing right and you will add value to commercial property. All right, I hope you guys enjoy it. Let me know what you think. And here it is. But first... If you haven't checked it out already, and I know a lot of you already have because I've been crazy busy with all the consultation calls, but I've opened up a whole bunch of new services in my commercial consulting business, all aimed at helping you guys, the investors and other professionals, not only just getting the job done, but educating yourself along the way. They're all about educating you as the investor so you can do it for yourself as well. Whether that's crunching the numbers on a commercial property, figuring out the best market or location or area that you wanna purchase in, giving you advice on a specific deal that you're looking at to making sure it stacks up, to even doing the due diligence for you and educating you how we actually do due diligence on commercial property. All of these services are geared at helping you, the investor, educate yourself and not breaking the bank. Or if you're just looking how to add value to your property and you can't figure out yourself and you need someone to look over your property to figure out how you can force crazy value onto that property. If you want to check out what I'm doing, go to www.andrewbean.com. .au. Book in a free consultation. I only have time for a certain amount of consultation calls per week and they seem to be booking up very, very fast each week. So if, if you can't get in for a little while, I'm sorry about that. But if you want to check it out, go to www.andrewbean.com.au. The real power of commercial property is how it is valued. So to understand how to add value, you need to first understand how it is valued. So this is a really big key of commercial property where the power is in the capitalization rate. So if it wasn't traded on a cap rate, then commercial property wouldn't be the asset that it is. But because commercial property is traded on a cap rate with the income being the driving force of value, this is the power of commercial property. So every single dollar that you add 
to income, to net income of that property increases the value. And that's not speculation. That is 100% like you can calculate that. That's how they are valued. And there's no saying, oh, actually it's valued this. It 100%, if I add value as in add income to the property, the value of the property will go up. It cannot go anywhere else but up. And that's the power of commercial property. Simple as that. Simple as that. It's simple. I tell you right now, it's a very, very simple game. One thing is an under-rented asset, right? So let's yep. say I come across this all the time yep. where there's a property that may be like, for instance, the owner occupies, I think it's about, don't quote me on the number, about 65% of the residential market is owner occupiers, or it might even be 70, 80%. I need to double check that number, but no, they're the ones that are kind of driving the value. So if a property has a lease already on it, right, they have a 12 month lease, that mm-hmm. asset will typically sell for less because all of a sudden, 70% of the market are not interested in it. It's only investors. So you can actually buy that property that's rented. Typically, it'll be under-rented. So instead of getting $500 a week, it'll be getting $400 a week. Does that thing kind of exist in the commercial space where you can just buy a place and say, hey, actually, the rent's super low? This is how simple commercial property is. This is part of the value-add formula. So finding under-rented property is literally the best way to add value to commercial property. And this is what I was getting to you, Joe, in that post on Facebook when you asked how much money have you put in to make this amount of money? And so I've seen people find under-rented property. They've increased the rates over time. And this property might need a little bit of work or it could just be the leases month to month. So all you need to do is redo the lease with the tenant bringing the rate per square meter up to the actual market rate. And that could be wildly huge. That could be $30 a meter. And that doesn't sound like much, but later on in this webinar, I'm going to show you exactly how much increasing the value from $30 per square meter can change the value of the property dramatically. And this is really the best way to do it because it costs you no money to have the knowledge to identify a property that's under-rented. It costs you nothing. And then you can just, with a stroke of a pen, add hundreds of thousands of dollars to the property. That's a great asset to me. That's a very, very good way to do things. So if you just get good at doing this one thing, finding under-rented property, there's no limit to how much money you can make and how much wealth you can have. You've just got to have the knowledge and the vision to be able to see it. Under-rented ugly ducklings are where the real profits live. You've converted one of them already. That was quick. There's a saying in property, the more problems you can find, the more money you can make. And that's 100% true. So typically with a commercial property, they're ugly. They're not beautiful. No one cares about how it looks. But the ugliest property can be so ridiculously valuable because of the lease that's on it that it doesn't matter that it's an ugly duckling as as long as it works for the tenant or the business that you are trying to attract or you've got in there, then it doesn't (laughs) matter if it's a rundown warehouse. I don't know if you guys have ever worked in a warehouse or anything, but these places aren't tidy. They're literally working in them, forklifts going in and out. I've spent a lot of my years in warehouses. They're not beautiful, pristine places like a big, tall office tower. This could be an industrial property that mechanic is using It could be the ugliest, most rundown junk of a piece of property, but it could be worth millions of dollars just because of the lease and the return that you can get from the property. What are some of the shortcomings of commercial property? There are lots of shortcomings with commercial property, particularly vacancy. It's the biggest risk with commercial property and it is a real risk. 
100%. No one's going to lie about that. Properties can go vacant for a long time if you get it wrong. But the good thing that happens when it goes vacant is you might have been getting a great return for a long time. So if it goes vacant for six months, you can potentially then raise the rates to actually make your property more valuable after you get a tenant. And you can do a little bit of a refurbishment. You could section off a little bit of space to get more rent. There's six months in a life cycle of a commercial property is very, very short. With commercial property, you need to have buffers in place. You need to have a strategy Mm. of a buffer to make sure that you can handle the interest repayments because no one has ever lost a property that has huge cash flow. No one's ever gone bankrupt with a property that's actually been cash flowing forever and a day. Markets go up and down, but cash flow always remains. So if you're looking at it from that perspective and you're banking cash flow and you've got six months to 12 months of interest repayments in your bank and you can have multiple properties too. So if one goes vacant, the other one is supporting the other one. There are lots of different ways to do it, but prolonged vacancy is the biggest danger in commercial property. And this is specifically why I like self-storage. It's 100% almost impossible to ever have a completely vacant self-storage facility. If I have 100 tenants, 10 of them leave, which is a lot. I've still got 90 other tenants to pay the bills. I might have to go down to only 40 tenants to just be breaking even. And that's so ridiculous that you would think that 60 tenants could move out in one week. It's a constant churn of people going in, people going out, people going in. The way that I look at it is who is in line next to pay the mortgage. And the biggest risk about commercial property is single tenancy and vacancy. So if you're the next in line to pay the mortgage, then maybe that property is a little bit more risky. And that's why for me, self-storage is the asset of choice because I have 100, 250 tenants in line to pay the mortgage for me before it gets to me. Just that for me removes the risk. Yeah, I like that. Can we just wheel it back? Because I know there's a lot of people in this group that love commercial property. There are also people that are brand new to commercial property. So I saw something here that's talking about cap rates. Can you just break it down for those that don't know? What is a cap rate? How do we value commercial property and what does it look like? Yeah, so to understand how to add value to a commercial property, you need to first understand how it is valued. So a cap rate is a perceived return and risk in a market that the investors are willing to accept. So say if I'm investing in a capital city, say Sydney, and I'm buying a industrial property, the return on that property might be traded at a three cap. So that's 3% return on the total value of the property. And that's because an investor is perceiving the capital city of Sydney to be a more sure thing to make sure that they actually will get a return. But if I'm going into a more regional market, I have to get a higher return for the risk that I'm potentially taking in that market. So in terms of a cap rate, it is a reflection of return and risk, a perceived return and risk. It is definitely perceived because a market, particularly agents and investors, will, and definitely in the commercial boom where we just went through where interest rates were getting so low that returns were so good that people were willing to have sharper cap rates. So that means if a cap rate goes down, the value of the property goes up. It's counterintuitive. And a cap rate goes up, the higher the number, 
the lower the value is. So it's counterintuitive. It's quite hard to get your head around. If I was to explain it simply, I guess it would be just, it's dividing the property's yearly income by yep. how much it costs to buy the property. So yep. if the property makes $50,000 a year and costs $500,000 to buy, the cap rate would be 10%. It would be the amount of money that makes divided right. by the 500,000, which would be yep. your 10%. And a 10 cap would reflect higher risk in a market. So if I'm say going into like Townsville, I'm going to be demanding a good seven cap for an industrial property there with a decent tenant. If that property was the same and that tenancy was the same, like the lease, and you picked it up and you moved it into, say, Brisbane or a Sydney, you would be asking for a five cap. So that's where if all things are the same, the actual geographical place where it is at, it determines the risk and the return that the investor has to have to take that risk to go into that market. The thing that I get wrapped my head around sometimes, because obviously as the rent goes up in Townsville, for example, 7% cap rate, if the rent was to go up, then the cap rate's going to go down. So what sets that 7%? If the income goes up, why does the cap rate go down? You're talking about yield. There's a big difference between cap rate and yield. So a cap rate is only used in context of buying and selling. Once you've bought the property, then you're actually getting a yield. So in Australia, unfortunately, agents and investors, they use cap rate and yield hand in hand, but there is a difference to the actual definition of the word. So a capitalization rate is the percentage that you're using to divide the net income to come to a value of the price. But then once you own that property, you're getting a yield, a return. So if the income goes up, your yield will go up. But that doesn't mean that that cap rate goes up because the cap rate is the market. It's not the actual yield. So the cap rate is determined by the investors and people in the market with what they're willing to accept as a return. Your yield might be through the roof. It could be a 10 cap. But when you go and sell that property, you'd still be selling it at a seven cap. So you would just have huge value in that property because you've increased the income, but you're still selling it at the same market cap rate. That was my question. Like who actually, obviously it's supply and demand. How many people want to buy a certain asset versus buy it is? A hundred percent. Yeah. So a lot of the times the agent will kind of determine what the cap rate is and then they'll get offers and expressions of interest from the investors and the investor will then give them an answer whether that cap rate was fair. A lot of the time what's been happening is that agents are always wanting to sell property for higher prices. That's their job. So they'll always push the envelope and investors will always push back saying, no, this is what it needs to be. But then when FOMO gets into play and there's more lower interest rates, people then say to themselves, well, I'm actually okay with taking a lower return. And that's what drives capital growth in commercial property. It's not anything to Mm. do with real market forces as in like residential, it's different to residential. It's your perceived accepted return. So right now there are less buyers in the markets for commercial property. So theoretically cap rates will either stay the same or soften. And that's a good thing. Right now, we're actually in a normal market. We've been a crazy out of this world boom market for too long. And that's not normal. 
But having a 5% interest rate or a 6% interest rate on a property is actually more normal than anything else because on average, the interest rates have actually been around there over time. So I like right now because now more people are fearful and when people are fearful, you should be greedy. So there are a lot of properties right now that prior to the interest rates rises, they would have been getting gobbled up straight away, no chance at ever getting in. But now there are a lot of like six caps, six and a half caps that are being listed. So previously, before the mini boom, trying to get a six cap was hard. If you could get a six cap, you were doing really well for probably about 12 Mm. months, 18 months. Prior to that year, it was a seven cap. People were actually trading things six and a half cap. And it was slowly going down because the perceived accepted return Mm. was changing. And this is just on average. Obviously, there are markets within markets that are different. But the perceived accepted return was changing. So if you look at some of the old training material from James Dawson's course, who I highly recommend, he's talking about eight caps or nine caps. Realistically, it's so out of date because you couldn't find that kind of property right now. Things are turning on different sectors. So there are different sectors that are doing very well. Industrial property is still doing very, very well, although you can have a bit more wiggle room with the pricing now and you could put in a bit more due diligence time on your days for due diligence and still get a good look at it. But before you didn't get a look in, if you had any kind of due diligence period and you wanted a six cap, they'll just move to the next offer. How low can these caps go? I was reading a book by George Antone, I think it's called The Wealthy Code or something like that. And he said, the value of commercial real estate really is the spread the spread between what the capitalization rate is and the interest rate that you're paying. So if you're paying a 5% interest rate and you're getting a 7% return on your cap rate, then you've got the spread. You've got a 2% spread. But when those start to compress, you're not really making money. What's the point of being involved in the project? How low can these things go? That's exactly right. We're only doing this to make money. If you can't make money with a commercial property deal, then there's no real reason to do it unless there is some huge value add like development or something like that where you can force huge value on the property. And that's what I'm talking about with adding value. I'm forcing value. I'm not speculating. There's absolutely Mm -hmm. no speculation in this. And I'm coming in with a value add strategy plan when you're buying the assets. So the big difference between a mum and dad investor and a professional investor. And this is what I've learned from interviewing many, many professional investors on my podcast is that a professional investor comes in with a plan in place to force value. They recycle the cash and they use the same money to buy a new property while still holding the other property and they build wealth that way. Whereas a mum and dad investor, they buy it with no plan in place. They think it's Mm. set and forget. And then there's no real strategy to move on. It's a big difference in mind shift and that's why CP data exists. So mum and dad investors can have the tools and data to be able to find a under rented property, to be able to find a tight market that has really good vacancy or really low vacancy. And this is what Steve and I have been the drum on for a long time. What is the main value driver in commercial property, I imagine? Or is it self-storage? Which type of value driver are you talking about? <laughs> in, I'm talking for commercial property. Self-storage is also commercial property. It's just a different class of asset. So the main driver in commercial property is the net income. If you can increase the net income, then you can increase the value. It's literally that simple. So if it's that simple, all you need to do is figure out how to increase the income because every single dollar counts. Literally, if you can add 
say $5,000 of net income to that property, I'm going to show you shortly how much that'll actually translate into value. It's absolutely mind boggling how much value you could add by just adding $5,000 or even just adding $30 to the rate per square meter. $30 is just a number. It could be $10. It could be $5. It could be $20. It's anything. Adding any dollar to the net income increases the value guaranteed. No questions asked. So when we're looking at these value add deals, are we specifically looking for deals that have their lease coming up for renewal pretty soon? If you've got a deal that's got a lease that's, you know, CPI adjusted over the next five years at a set rate, you probably don't want to add value to a property like that because you wouldn't be able to get your return. So how do you think about that? It doesn't have to be a lease that's coming short. It could be a tenancy that's having a market review very, very soon. So not all rate increases are CPI. It could be fixed. Every now and then in your rate increases, you will have a market review. So that can be good or bad because if Mm. you bought a property and the rate per square meter is too high, guess what? That actual rate is coming down to the market. So you need to make sure when you're buying a property that the rate per square meter is fair. You should try and not push the envelope so it's way over the market because eventually Mm. that is actually going to have to come back. And then you're going to be losing money on the value of the property. And also the tenant will look elsewhere because they'll think I'm paying this here where I can go over to this property. It's exactly the same. And they're only charging me X and it's a lot lower than what I'm charging here. So being commercial property, the tenant is your partner. If the tenant has lots of success, you will have lots of success and you need to Mm -hmm. make it easy for them to have success in commercial property. So working with them, and I'm not saying undercutting yourself, it has to be fair, but you don't want to really go crazy and push the envelope like you can in self-storage on your commercial property lease. In self-storage, it's different because I'm trying to find the highest paying customer possible and it depends on your need. So if you really need self-storage and there's nowhere else to put your stuff and I'm charging you $50 more than the market because you need it, you might still pay it. So self-storage is a lot more cutthroat. A lot more savage where you can just get a new replacement person in. So in terms of value-add strategies, what are some of the things that drive value? What are some of these strategies? What drives net income more than anything else? Look at this. It's like he's prepared this. (laughs) So if income is the thing that drives value, what drives net income more than anything else? So I want to jump back to you guys just for a guess. What would you guess the next slide will say? Rent. The net income is the rent. So guess again. I was going to say maybe the demand for the asset. It's a good guess. Both are, I'm not going to say wrong, but just not correct. So (laughs) the biggest thing that drives the net income is actually the NLA, net lettable area. If you can increase the net lettable area or raise the rates, you have then increased the net income, which increases value. So say it with me, guys. Increase the NLA to increase the net income to increase the value. That's the flow and effects of increasing NLA. This is the simplest thing you could ever think of. This doesn't happen in residential property. You could put in a great kitchen. You could put in a great bathroom. At the end of the day, the comparables are what is going to actually value that property. You can't really calculate it. You could develop it though, couldn't you? So you could increase the area that you're renting out separately. That's literally what I was just about to talk to is I have people that are like, I'm going to build a granny flat because I need to increase the rent. 
They then have a $500,000 asset. They spend $200,000 on a granny flat, and that gives them a great rental return. But they then expect their property to be revalued at $700,000 because I've got five hundred. I spent two hundred, but it yep. comes back at six hundred thousand because the yep. banks don't value it as much as that. So Crazy. in commercial property, that's where it's different. This is the power mm. of commercial property. It's a different game. So different if you game. increase the net little area by a little amount, it doesn't have to be big, then you're actually going to <clears> rent <throat> that space out. You're going to get more net income, which increases the value. It's just a flow on effect. It's literally that simple. So if you increase so it's just the utilization of the asset, there's this big alfresco area out the back. I've got a great little storage area here, but but it's not being used. So what yep. you're saying is I should be putting more units at the back, which will then give me a more little bit area and allow me to raise the rent. In the simplest form, if you have a piece of land or you have a property and there is space that you're not getting any rent from, like I've got one of my clients has exactly this type of asset. So it's an industrial property and there's a space at the back that neither of the tenants are using. Literally all we're doing, because we can't build on the actual site because of regulations with flood zones and stuff, but all we're doing is we're putting a gate around it and we're turning it into hard stand. So we're going to be getting about ten to $15,000 extra per year in net income. And that is a huge value add. So what What's I do is like stand? hard stands, just a area where people might store stuff. No. A lot of businesses might have equipment like a little mini tractor thing, like a little dingo or anything they could put down because they don't want to take that home with them, but they might be working in a residential area that they need to service. So they'll put it into storage or they might have a gated hard stand that they just go in every day and take the equipment out. And that's the simplest form. Do you guys think that it's easy to get a gate constructed? And that adds to your net lettable area. Yeah. And then all you have to do yeah. is rent it out to the tenant. So in terms, now you've got another tenant, which is another source of income. So you've increased the net lettable area and actually getting rent out of it. You haven't increased the gross floor area, which is different. The net lettable area, because you're making income from it, is now an asset to you. And that adds value to the property as well. So it's just that easy. I can't explain it any easier than that form. Increase the NLA, increases the net income, and it increases the value. If you can look now at all property through that lens, you can do very, very well as a commercial property investor. And this is, isn't is this taking into account Ross, a lease at all. You can put it in terms of hard stand out of the back. Is that dividing the NLA, which increases the net income? Is that what you're talking about or is it different? No, no. So like you say, you have a property and you have a yard area and the tenants that you have on the property aren't using the yard area. It's not leased to them. It's just dead space that you're just paying council rates for. Yeah. And then this is just one value add driver. This isn't the be all and end all. You could put a shed there. You could do all kinds of stuff. But particularly for this, my one of my clients' properties, I basically just had the idea, well, let's just gate it off and rent mm. it out as hard stand. As I've been saying, every dollar counts in commercial property. It's valued with a cap rate, which is capitalized from the net income. So if we can increase the net income from increasing the NLA, we increase the value. I think what Ross is talking about here is can dividing the NLA also help with net income? I think what he's meaning is cutting the place up into multiple pieces. Putting a partition saying, down the middle, maybe. Yep. The next slide 
I'm yeah. going through to my top six easiest value add strategies, but that may get a sneaky peek in there. Okay. I, so, I listened to your um your podcast where you spoke about you went from the easiest to the hardest ones. Yeah, so I've whittled that down again to literally the easiest ones that blind Freddy could figure out and see himself. So if the main value driver is income and NLA, then how the hell do I add value to commercial property? Well, you guys are in luck because here is my top <laughs> six easiest value add strategies. Seriously, you cannot go wrong. It is literally that easy. I'm, no I'm a little worried when somebody says something. Yeah, <laughs> You really pumped that up to make me not believe you. But That's good. I want to be good. fooled. That's good. I want to be That's believed. Good. So here we go. This is Ooh. exactly what I think it was oh, Ross said. Yep. The first one is split the property into multiple tenancies if you have multiple roller doors. So think about an industrial warehouse where there are multiple roller doors, there are multiple access points. If you've got mm-hmm. one large tenant, so say you have a tenancy that's month to month and you want to move them, they don't need that much space. They could possibly do it in a smaller space. If you can put up a petition wall, and we're not strata titling this because then you'd have to do all fireproofing and all kinds of stuff. If you just put up a petitioning wall and you reduce the net lettable area, then the rate per square meter that has to be paid to you goes up. So that in turn creates value in the property. And that's a very, very good strategy. And that's actually the hardest strategy on my easiest list. So if you can't do that, you've probably got problems. What are some of the things that we need to consider? Like you can't just put a wall up. What are some things to consider yeah, when, can. if we are thinking about this strategy, we found a commercial does it have property. To be council approved or what? Not if it's internal and it's not strata titling it. It doesn't have to be council approved. You could petition off a section of a property and rent it out a hundred percent. Give that a caveat to check with your council permitting, but it is a very, very good strategy because. That's permitting it, if you tell them. <laughs> you don't have to tell them. In terms oh. of a commercial property, the larger the space usually the lower the rate per square meter. So when you're splitting up and dividing into smaller spaces, the rate per square meter goes up, which creates more income for you, which creates a huge value add. Very, very powerful strategy. What are some of the risks of this strategy? What are some of the things we should have for consideration thinking around this one? There's not much that really comes to my mind because you're putting in another tenant. So you have multiple tenancies, which is great because then you've got one more person in front of that conga line and that's who's going to pay the mortgage. So that's a plus. You're getting more rent. The only probably thing that I would say that could be a risk is that when you're reducing the space, the type of tenant that you will probably attract will probably be a lower quality tenant as in like the business will either boom or fail. So that tenant might only stay for one or two years. So you might have higher tenancy turnover, but I couldn't say that hand on heart saying that is actually going to happen. So it really comes down case by case. But if you're looking to add value to the property, then this is an excellent strategy and it doesn't take too much money to actually split up a tenancy rewrite a few leases and Bob Zirani's mm. brother, you've got value there. Yeah. Cause one of my considerations would be if you get a little bit greedy, right. And a space that you can split into two, you decide to split into three and all of a sudden three people are not interested in it and neither are two people. And you kind yeah. of go too far gone and you make it too small. What you do, and this is what I do quite a lot is I ring the agent and ask what the demand is for this type of space. If they say to me, oh my God, there's a waiting list. We can never get anyone in in that space. Like if you have one, let me know. Then I'm pretty confident and that's a great like strategy, bringing the space smaller. 
and literally ring every single agent in the market that's trying to lease these types of properties. Like the more people you can talk to, the better data, the bigger like pool of information you can get, the better off you'll be. Don't ever do like something, it's with any property, don't do something without first understanding the demand for that type of asset. That'd just be mm, stupid. Yeah. And are we going to real estate agents, property managers in the yep. commercial space? Are they the same thing? Like how does that kind of work? They can be the same thing. Property managers are people you want to go to first because they are actually managing the properties and they should know. You'll be able to get a good understanding of the rate per square meter for this type of space as well. That'd be a good idea. Then you, could, you would also go to selling agents because potentially you could just be splitting this up, putting a tenant, two tenants in, in it instead of one and then flipping it back onto the market and selling it for a huge profit. So you might actually find first the managing agent you're talking to that there's a demand, we could do this, the rate per square meter is going to be this, their property will then be valued this. Once you actually do that and you have a tenant in place, then you would like, after you've already spoken to the selling agent, you would say, okay, well, I've done this. I've got this asset with these leases, with these tenants. How much mm. can I get for it? Is there demand for that? And if there is, and you want to sell the property, then great. Or you might want to refinance it. Great too. Mm. So there's not too much downside with this strategy if you're smart, like, and you don't really yeah, need to it. be too smart to figure it out. So love it. we'll go What's number on two? to number two. So close in an open space to create more NLA and start charging rent for it. So you can see there is a hard yard thing. This is, yeah. So it could be a hard stand. It could be anything. Oh, so I actually saw this strategy done at my CrossFit gym. So they had a roller door at the front and a roller door going through to this backyard that was totally unusable. It was totally not undercover or anything. And all they did was they already had the one wall there with an opening like a roller door and they just put three walls and a roof up and then, hey, Bob, it's NLA that they need to charge for. So they literally created about 100 square meters of net letable area. Who did they rent it to though? Like who's renting that? The gym tenant is renting it and the gym tenant paid for it because he needed more space in the property. So he's added value to the owner's property. And now that night, right now, you can't turn around and go, okay, well now you've like paid for the whole, like closing this space off. Now I'm going to charge you more rent. Like that'd be really, really like horrible as the, the landlord. So once that gym tenant goes, then the next tenant that comes in, then they'll charge them for that NLA. And that's but if you went like, to sell it or whatever, you'd be able to yeah, you'd increase the... You would, yeah. Because you could say like, look, this person's only leasing this part. They're not leasing that part, but now it's been closed in. Literally 100 square meters could be a million dollars of value, like literally. So yeah. it costs the actual tenant about $30,000 to close in with some you know, sheet metal and a roof. And that's it. Pretty, pretty simple. And um, yeah, it's a very, very good strategy if you can find this you, type of property. Yeah, but if you buy one of these gym, like you buy it, a lot of the like CrossFit gyms where I live in the um, in Cronulla, they've got them in the industrial estate where you yeah. can do these simple basic value adds. Hey, one, one place is vacant, put a little extension out add that value to it and then try and get your hands on one of these tenants that are able to do it and yeah, charge yeah, for I love extra it. money. Spend yeah, that it's 30 just, grand up front yourself. Yeah, it's just finding a space that has unused rear yard or unused side yard or something. And this is really, really common. Like, so in like any type of commercial property, usually there's some, like a freehold property, 
usually there's a little bit of space somewhere around the property that can potentially be used or closed in or, or something like that. And it's just having the eye to actually see it and utilize it. James Dawson famously had a retail property in Bondi and he actually got manufactured apartments like built in a factory and he made apartments and just connected it to the top of the retail building in Bondi. Like it was just airspace that wasn't being used. So your roof is also gross floor area or net letable area that could potentially be utilized. So like, Mm. I don't know the numbers on that, but you could imagine putting four apartments in Bondi, how much value that would have added. And it was manufactured units that wouldn't have cost more than $800,000 to actually manufacture, put together, do a whole crane operation and stuff. It was a big deal. Um, This was years ago, but things like that. It's just having the vision to be able to see things like that that can create huge wealth and huge value. 100%. Number Number three. three, What do we got? So add a shed or a garage to the underutilized hard stand, creating more in LA and start charging rent for it. So can you see a pattern here? It's about creating more in LA. If you can fix and solve this problem, you can add huge net income and value to the commercial property. So think about like putting in a shed or a garage. How hard do you reckon that is to develop a shed, a single shed onto like a freehold property? Is it, yeah, is it I feel hard? like the word develop is, is probably a bit of a stretch. I feel like exactly. it's, it's exactly. Lego set. Yeah. So like is putting a Never shed or a, a shed. garage on a freehold industrial property, would you say that was easier than renovating a kitchen or renovating a bathroom? Which one would be harder? Which one would cost more? Like realistically? Mm. Yeah. Which one has probably more risk? Wow. So the bathroom yeah. would cost more. So the thing in turn, the, the shed would be easier because it's just a shed. All you have to do is get approval from council and you could probably put it in yourself. Like it's not a big thing. And all you have to do is then start charging rent for it. So that could be another tenant. That could be the same tenant that need more space. So with like warehouse property, a lot of the tenants, they need more space. They need more storage space. So you could just be increasing the, the rent that they're already giving you. So it's, it's a very, very good strategy as well. Very, very easy to do. Yeah, that makes perfect right. sense. Okay. Next one. Number four. Add multiple, multiple sheds. sheds to an underutilized <laughs> oh, like area three. along yeah. a boundary self-storage style and have multiple tenants paying you each month. Now, obviously, this is a better than the number three because you have multiple tenants, literally like boundary areas, any kind of underutilized area where you could potentially put three, four, five, six sheds could be a huge value add. Like if you're looking at like a six by three shed, on average, like that would probably return about three fifty to four hundred dollars per month per shed. Forget so the granny flat. Yeah, it's this is like just that's what I'm saying. It's like I'm not trying to change anyone's mind. I'm just purely saying why I like commercial property, and hopefully people can just understand. This is pretty easy. Like it's just numbers and maths. If you can do basic maths, you can do commercial property. You can be a successful commercial property investor, and it's a lifestyle asset. So if I can get a commercial property and have that returning 100K to me per year net, like I could live off that. I think that term lifestyle asset. Yeah. Well, the thing, yeah, I'm kind of confused about the the term lifestyle asset as well. It's a lifestyle lifestyle asset is you go and buy an acreage or something or you go and buy a bloody service department on the service paradise. So that's a lifestyle asset to me. But I see the, the context you're using lifestyle asset here. It creates the ability to live your own lifestyle. That's right. So I'm not talking mm. about 
what you're talking about. I'm talking about an asset that gives you the ability to have ultimate ultimate, like live life on your terms and pay you to own it. To me, that's a lifestyle asset where it actually pays for my lifestyle. That's the thing I think quite interesting about commercial is that you can have like the vacancies are larger. It does cost more money if you have a vacancy and it does take longer to fulfill these vacancies. But if you're making 40 grand a year and you can do that for the first year, two years, you've then got 80 grand in the kitty that just sits there. And let's say you do have a six month vacancy. So that's 20 grand. You just don't spend all of that money. You just keep it in the account ready to go. And if there is a vacancy, you just take it out of that money. Then six months later, you get it rented. And then all of a sudden you're making your 40 grand again. Yeah, it's, that's um, right. And and with a commercial ridiculous. property, it has a higher return, right? So it can weather a higher interest rate. So it gives you more flexibility and lower risk of complete lack of income. So a commercial property, if it's set up, pro- if it's set up properly from when you're purchasing it, it can weather about an 8% interest rate. That's because a commercial property has a larger deposit that's put down. So you're actually only, say, paying interest on 60% of the value and the 40% gap is giving you that return. So I have a inflation risk analyzer that people can go and download from my website. It's actually my DIY cash flow kit. You get three spreadsheets, your value add spreadsheet, a cash flow calculator and an inflation risk analyzer. And you can see this for yourself. If you just go up there and put all your details in for your property, you can see how high the interest rates can go before you're underwater with that property. And it's literally like 8% interest. If the property is leveraged with about a 60 to 70% LVR, you know, you could still be making $5,000 a year on that property if interest rates go crazy high. One of the questions that's popped up, it says, looks like I'm putting a 20-foot container on the side of my shed to up the rents. Now, this is a good one. It's funny. But my question is, like, is there a way to think about the businesses and the demographics of the people that are coming to your area as well? Because, I mean, this person's making a joke by putting a 20-foot container up there. But really, you have to know the people and the businesses that are interested in that area because that 20-foot container might actually work perfectly for one demographic, but then you do it on your shed. It's not going to do it. It's not going to do a thing. You're not going to add that value. So how important is it to understand businesses and things like that? It is very, very important. And that remark, if it was meant as a joke, it's actually not funny because it's a legitimate way to make cash flow. Like literally, <laughs> like that's a very, very good way to do it. Maybe Depending, it so it might be funny, but it literally is a great way to add cash flow. Now, in terms of fixed assets, so if you're just putting a container in, then that doesn't always translate to added value with commercial property. It can for self-storage when it's done at mass, right? And it's more of a business because when, when they're valuing self-storage, it's also an enterprise value that they're looking at. So it's the business that you're buying into. So if there's a hundred containers on a property, then they'll value that with a return as in an EBITDA for the business, so that can be a great strategy. With a commercial property, it's better to have a fixed structure. And that's why I left the container out of the top six list because you can guarantee extra value whether it's a fixed asset and you're renting that out. With a container, it can happen, but I wouldn't bet on it. 
there are a few other different ways that you can add value to commercial property that I have left out that are more novel, like adding in a digital sign. That's a very, very good way to add income to the property if you're on a main road. But then again, that doesn't always translate to added value. And that's why I left it off this list. And then another one is also a cell tower. So putting on a cell tower, if you have the opportunity, can be a huge value add. But because like the cell tower companies have a specific need and there's only so many properties they can do that with, you're very, very lucky if you have the property that they need to do that. But the things in this, my top six list are the easiest value add strategies that you can definitely do. You're not guessing, you're not speculating, you're not waiting for someone to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I want to put a cell tower on your property. These are things that are actionable that the audience can go and do today and start looking for. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things I need to be looking out for? Because the way I think about commercial property is that it doesn't transact as much as residential. Residential is constantly transacting and flowing. Whereas commercial, it's kind of like older money. And I'm thinking that like these older people have been getting a great cash flow. They've already got debt free, the income free. They don't really care about adding an extra shed to juice the juice as much as possible because they've already won the game. So you can buy those type of properties and add value to them. Like what are some of the things that I should be looking out for from an asset perspective? Like what kind of deals should I, oh, actually, gosh, that is underutilized. Are there any things that when you're scrolling through real estate, that you say, yeah, that's mine. I can yeah. see some value so there. So you need to be looking for spaces that are underutilized. They're not being yeah. used properly or you can add something in and you need to be looking for under-rented properties. So it's being rented for a lower than market rate per square meter. This is what this whole presentation is about. Just finding underutilized property and then you being the active investor, getting in there, getting your hands dirty and figuring out the strategy and then putting a small little strategy in place that could potentially only make you $5,000 of net income, but that can actually result in like $50,000 of added value to the property. So it's like a huge, like a huge return for your money. And I'm going to be able to show you that and calculate that after we finish these slides. So don't leave. You will be able to see this in real time in CP data when I show you the value add calculator. So number five, number five is add a mezzanine. Seriously, it's that freaking simple. (laughs) A mezzanine is literally one of the best value add strategies because all you're looking for is a property that has a high ceiling and has the room to put in a mezzanine. So if you're looking at a mezzanine, a mezzanine is a level in a like property that is potentially used for storage or it could be used for office. Um, It's just usually a timber structure could be, you know, 100 square meters to 20 square meters. It could be anything, but it's usually very, very low cost to put in. You do need to go through council to get it done. You can have illegal mezzanines, which if it's a legal mezzanine and you try and get it valued, then they won't count that net lettable area. But the essence of it is you're creating a mezzanine that's creating more net lettable area that's creating more income and that's creating value. It's a very, very simple strategy and it's a very, very good strategy that a lot of professional investors do. And you can do this not only on a freehold property, but a strata title property as well. And a lot of people that are probably listening to this are probably going to be buying lower value property and it might be a strata type warehouse. So you could still execute this strategy on that type of investment. 
Any questions? Just um, cautious of time here. So I do want to kind of tear through some of these and we're at number six, obviously. So we're not far gone. What is number six? All right. Number six is identify under-rented property and raise the damn rates. So (laughs) this is what we've been talking about the whole time. If you can just identify under-rented property, that's the rate per square meter that you're charging your tenant, then you can potentially increase the rates for no money and you're literally creating value with just your pen. And that it's literally that simple. What are your thoughts about buying a commercial property that is not rented? So you're going even more crazier there when there's no rent coming in whatsoever. So the cap rate, I imagine, well, there's no, it's not calculated on cap rate. It's, this is what the asset's worth. Yeah, well, that is more of an advanced strategy and that's why I left it off this list. So right. when I did my 13 ways to add value to industrial property on my podcast, that was one of the strategies because a lot of investors do that. So they'll buy a vacant property, which they'll have to pay GST on. That's the very big downside of buying vacant commercial property is then it's not considered a going concern. It's actually now triggers GST. Then you'll be buying that at a discount, right? So what they'll mm. do with that is when they're valuing it, the value will look at it. They'll look at how it could be rented. What could the potential right. income be? And then what you should try and do is try and get that at a discount and then the effort going to get a tenant in there and then get a better lease on that property, that's your value add. It's a very, very good strategy, but you need to have uh, reserves and buffers in place to do that. And it's a more advanced strategy for an investor that's further along their path because they need more money to do that because you could, if you get it wrong, have a long period of vacancy as well. Great way to do it. Many people do it, but I wouldn't recommend it for the type of audience that we're probably speaking to now that's starting out. Interesting. Okay. All right. That's the end. Oh, the end. That's the end. Oh. All right. Go. So if you guys do want to jump on and get my DIY cash flow kit, you can go to that website, www.andrewbean.com.au. But now we want to move on to the next part of the live webinar, which is going through to CP Data. And this is where all the magic happens. And I'll be able to show you the actual returns and the value add strategy that we can do. So this is what CP data looks like. It takes into account you already knowing and understanding what commercial property is. It actually goes down to the location. It doesn't go down to the address level like your core logic or your price finder. So it's not that type of tool. But what CP data does is it takes in commercial property data Australia-wide for many, many markets. And then it breaks it down into the three main sectors. And this is what the other platforms like CoreLogic and, and PriceFinder don't do. They don't differentiate between the different sectors. So we could do that obviously in retail, office and industrial. And this is able to give us proper data that you can use. And it's not data like a CBRE would give you something like that, where they're talking about really large investment portfolios and things like that. This is like the whole market. So it's everything. There's no punches, no manipulation of data. If it's good, it's bad, it's in there. It doesn't matter to me. Hang on. Is this a good market? Industrial, four sales transactions and there's 48 for sale. Yeah. So it's 3.1% stock on hand. So if you're looking at a stock on hand percentage, this is 3.1. So this is only March. So the first part of CP data only goes to the actual date, which is the previous month. And you can change that, whatever you want to actually look at. But then if you go down, we can see the trending graph. So this is trending graph for retail. So 
in March, there was three transactions for retail. In February, there was one. In January, there was five. So you can see what's happening in a market over a long period of time, 12 months. So you could see how many are for sale in May 2022. Well, and So my question to this is what's happening to all of those deals? We've got three, six, seven, five, but then we have 30 listed, 37. So they're just dropping the like they stay there or they go on and off the market. It mm. just really depends. Mm. So like you might have a constant on average about 35 properties here, but only ever a few will get transacted. Like not all properties get transacted that are on the market. Some stay mm. on there for months, 12 months, two years. Like yeah. commercial property is different in a sense. Like if you've got it wrong, why would anyone buy that asset? So, you know, we can go through, you know, office okay. and we can go through industrial and you can see where, the listed stock on hand, and this is the sales data, it flows through. So you can see there's been a steady stock on hand of 29 to 3.1% over the last 12 months, right? And then if you want to compare the sectors, this is what this graph's for. So we compare the sectors, and that's a little bit harder to understand. But if we go into up here, see how you've got a cap rate range here? So what we do is this is like this data is really hard to collect. Like this is all done by hand. It takes me and my team a month to collect it. And then once we post it at the end of the month, we have to start again for the next month straight away. This is really time consuming to do. So painting like, the golden gate bridge. Yeah. To yeah, this, yeah. So, all over and, and what we do is we give a cap rate range because there are so many different types of assets. You can't have them all listed here. So we have to put all of retail and all office and all of industrial into the same like range. So if you're looking at like industrial in, um, we're in Newcastle, I think. So on the low end, great properties there, like A-grade properties with fantastic leases, are they're showing signs of it's been trading at a 4.7%. So that's a 4.7 cap return on your money. And on the high side, that's actually 7.71%. So the 7.75%, sorry, might be a property that's really ugly. It has like bad lease, uh, it needs work. So there's a range there. So if you find an asset and say like you have to determine where it is on this cap rate range and you could say, oh, hang on, they're asking a four cap for this property. That's really sharp. Like that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. There's no way there should be a four cap. So you can go back to the agent and say, look, no, like nothing's trading at that four cap right now for industrial. Maybe we should be more of a five or a six cap. Like, you know, so it just gives you the, the tools and the data to understand where you are in your market so if we go over to like say leasing this is where it really gets exciting because we give you a rate per square meter guide like a range wow. this is really That's hard to massive decide. massive range for retail 130 dollars yeah. to 1200 dollars yeah. So this is really, really hard to, to get the data because you can't just go somewhere. And this is like, isn't like a data dump that we like, you know, pay for and we get, we have to collect this by hand every single market. And then getting the cap rate range is a whole different ball game again, where we have to call every single agent in the market and then use that information to correlate with the data that we already have, like listed and sold properties and make sure that the ranges that we've got align with what's happening in the market at any one time. So if you're finding, say, an industrial property, and if we go to the value add calculator here, let's pretend that we bought this property for a million bucks and we're getting $60,000 of net income and it's the net lettable area on the property is 500 square meters. So it's a pretty big warehouse. 
the market rate per square meter is $120 that we're paid. But we can see here that the industrial rate like range is $85 to $400. So maybe this property like needs a little bit of TLC or the tenants on a short lease and then we're going to re-tenant it. So we might be able to push this up by say $30 to $150 per square meter. And like it's only $30. Like what's really that going to make a big difference in the scheme of things? So the market isn't changing. The market cap rate isn't changing. So we bought it at a six cap. We're going to be valuing it at a six cap. But the only thing that's changing is we're going to change the rate per square meter to $150. And I'll show you the magic that happens. All I'm doing is $30 extra. And I've created $250,000 of equity in that property because I've raised the rate $30. Is mm. your mind blown? Mm. Is that Thank what you. happens when your mind is blown? That noise? I can't see. <laughs> I've, I've switched off. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cooked. <laughs> can't see. So if you want to make money in commercial property, what you got to do is raise the rents. Yep. Increase the NLA. Yep. Increase the NLA, increases the income, increases the value. What else? That's it. What else do we have to do? Well, what you've got to look for under-rented, under-rented property, like I've said, the whole way yeah. through. It's been a common theme, under-rented property. And you don't have to use CP data. You can figure this out yourself. It just takes yeah. way more time. So to be able to figure this out yourself, you're going to have to put a week of phone calls in to all these agents and understand where you are in the market, whether it's a low rate. The reason the CP data exists is it gives you the tools to do it in five seconds. So Love like it. we've done, we've done all the hard work for you, but by all means, get your hands dirty and get in there and start making calls yourself. And you can really find some great deals out there. You just need to have the knowledge and the understanding of what you're looking for. There was a great question that comes up. Anyone else that has a question, we'll jump into question time right now. Here is a great question by Ross. What is an acceptable and common due diligence period when you're looking at a commercial property? So prior to the interest rates going up, depending on the asset, if you had any due diligence period in there, you would have got knocked back. I know Steve was putting seven days on his contracts for a very long time, even 14 days. um, And that was tight. Right now, 21 days, that's business days, is a pretty good amount of time where you should be able to get your building in pest, your valuation done, and all your other lease, checking the lease and stuff done within that 21 day business days. So it's a big difference between just saying 21 days because that's calendar days. If you say 21 business days, you're actually getting heaps more time, yeah, which is really the words actually really change. Just make you know, sure you read the damn con- Just make sure you read the contract and the contract is the right word rather than yeah. they've, they've well, made the right. Yeah. Because you when can you're putting in an agent, you can say 21 yeah. business days and then they write 21 days. Yeah, well, this is this is actually one of my tips is that what you want to do is when you're putting in your offer, you know how you'll just put in an offer to the agent and then they'll like write out the contract and send it to your solicitor. While you're sending the offer to the agent, like once it gets accepted, you should send your offer letter to your solicitor too so they can understand and marry up are the terms and conditions that you've negotiated and got accepted exactly the same. And going further one more step on this, you can have the vendor or the agent ask the vendor to print it out, sign it and send it back to you with your terms and condition on it. And then when their solicitor says, hang on, we wanted calendar days, not business days. 
then you just hold it up and say, hang on, I've got the signed copy here, what the vendor signed, and you can clearly see it says business days. So you can kind of mitigate your risk there. But definitely having the agent, the, your solicitor, giving them a copy of your terms and conditions that you had accepted because agents will take that word out of there. They're very cheeky like that. So more often than not, they will. Yeah, they want to get paid their commission. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Is days on market important from a commercial standpoint? Like, do you see a tightening, like in the residential space, you see a tightening of, of days on market being an important metric that tells you that people are soaking up these properties. Is that something that's interesting in commercial or, or it's it not, it's, happen as much? it's not as relevant in terms of like commercial property because commercial property can take a while to transact. So it's not usually a 42 day contract. It could be longer than that because financing on a commercial property is usually a lot more difficult because they're not only assessing you as the borrower, they also have to assess the asset in its its own rights. So to make sure the asset stacks up in more than one way, like not just the income, but the location as well. So a commercial contract can take longer to transact. So in theory, then it will look like it's a longer days on market. So it's not something that I track or anything. You can noticeably see when markets get, when properties get taken quickly, but it's not as prominent as a metric to look at in commercial property as it is in residential property. Interesting. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, if anyone has any more questions, there's been a whole heap of banter thrown around. I'm just kind of looking for the actual questions. I mean, this, I think, I think this, one, this one's a good one. I like this one. What does a, no, what does a tenant who is late mispayments do to your value? Sorry, I missed that, mate. What does a tenant that's late mispayments? Yeah, do, do to your value. value. If you jump on, jump on the other page, you'll see our screen. Oh, yeah. So one says you have a late payment, you put in a you know letter of notice from your solicitor or your rental agent, and it doesn't hugely affect the property value unless they are not, you're losing the tenant. So if you're, they're not going to pay and then you lose the tenant and then you have no tenant and you try and revalue or sell it, then that does change the value. But Mm -hmm. in terms of little squabbles between month to month of getting your actual income, the only time that really can have an effect is like when say you're selling the property and the person that is doing the due diligence will look at the rental ledger and they'll see that they're always late so they can see that they're a bad tenant. So if you have a bad tenant that might put the buyer, the purchaser off Mm -hmm. buying that type of property because you're inheriting a problem. So in terms of value from a bank though, unless they're not paying you at all and you're losing that tenant and then then it's vacant, then it doesn't have a huge effect. But obviously you want to get paid and you're doing this to make money. So you want to try and make sure that during your due diligence, you can see that they're paying on time every single month and they're a good tenant to have. Like in self-storage, you inherit a lot of bad tenants a lot of the time because the business that you're buying has been poorly managed and they've trained them to be a bad tenant. So your job is to put processes and business like processes in place that train them to be a good paying on time tenant. And that's the difference between like self-storage and commercial property. Unreal. Well, we've done an awesome session on the self-storage side of things with you and I still want to dive deeper into it because I think there's so many opportunities there. If anyone has any more questions, throw them in now. But where, Andrew, can people learn more about you? This hasn't been enough. Today has not been enough for them. (laughs) They want to understand the commercial world a little bit better. They want to understand it simply. How do people learn about you? 
Yeah, so I've got a few websites. You can go to commercialpropertyshow.com.au. That's the podcast website. You can jump on to anywhere where you get your podcast, type in commercial property and you know the commercial property show will be the first one that'll pop up. You can also go to my personal website, which is andrewbean.com.au. And if you want to check out CP Data, you can go to commercialpropertydata.com.au. So it's it's all about commercial property and property and everything. So I'm very, very aligned with everything I do. And thanks for having me on the show. I really enjoyed being here, guys. And just want to uh, commend you both with the massive effort that it takes to create content like this every single week in and week out. So hats off to you guys for putting in a massive effort because I know being a content creator myself, how difficult it is. You know, you guys are doing it really well. Thanks. Well, thanks. Mate. I mean, you um, did a lot of the work. You do. You did a lot of the work today, <laughs> mate. So uh, I appreciate you. Um, we've got a little. We've got a little um, a cheeky question that's coming here. How much is CP Data, and are there levels of subscription? Uh, yeah. So CP Data is eighty nine dollars per month. You know, you can jump in and do a seven day free trial, no questions asked. You know, let me know that you're an Oz property listener, then I can give you access to all locations because usually in that seven day trial, what? you only get access to one location. So it gives you a little slice of data. But if you're an Oz prop listener, um, let me know and I'll give you access to every single location. So theoretically, you can get your data and move on. But I made it for myself. Like it's, it's just added bonus to be able to get a little bit of money from it, like a little source of income. But if it can help someone in any kind of way, and that's really what it was created for. Like it's, And if you are going to join CP Data, you need a Google email account. That's the biggest constraint that it has. It's, it's yeah. created with Google software. So you need oh. a Gmail. So sign up with a Google Gmail and that'll make the whole process a lot easier. Um, because if you don't, I'm going to have to get a, a Google email off you. But, um, I got Google you know, Sheets um, cash flow calculator show. It's done through um, Google oh, yeah. Viewer, like uh, Looker. It, called, it used to be called, oh, I can't remember the, the what it used to be called, the change names. But the dashboard style is what it is. It's just for basically businesses to understand metrics through a dashboard style. And I was able to create the platform through that because creating like a platform like CP data requires is like a huge investment of time building it from scratch. So I had to build it in the most economical way, which was using off the shelf software. And that was the easiest way to do it with the least allowed of capital invested. So need a Google that. email account. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And also 89 bucks. I thought you were going to say like 800 bucks a month. Like at the end of the day, if you're buying a commercial property, we're talking like, $89 is, yeah, okay, it's nothing. Yeah, so like literally the information on that platform could make you millions. Like if you just understand the rate per square meter and you're paying $89 to get it or even you're just going in the free trial, that could be hugely wildly advantageous to you. So yeah, I mean, I probably Love should raise, raise the prices, but um, yeah, just leave great, great comment here. It says, great content tonight, reinforcing what we're already doing. I'm looking for a container right now. And I think that's half of it, right? Like, People are already out there doing this kind of stuff, but there's not this type of content where people are talking about how do you actually do it? And then you realize, yep. no, no, it is this simple. This is exactly how you do it. And this is how it can be done. So yeah, guys, good I'll luck. I'll just say to that, that Facebook user, be wary of buying containers from Facebook. There are a lot of scams for containers. Literally, there are a lot of scams for containers on Facebook. So make sure you're buying it from a reputable like container provider because there are wow. countless people that have been scammed. So one of my other projects, my client projects, 
we're building a little self-storage mini facility. We're buying five containers. We're splitting it up in half, like half of them in the middle. And we're putting roller doors on each side. So we've got five containers, 10 spaces. And we're getting this from a reputable container provider near the location. And he told me, yeah, people are actually coming to me and saying, I've ordered containers from you. When can I pick them up? And the guy's like, oh, you never ordered from me. Like, he's like, yeah, I ordered wow. online, like through Facebook. Because people are saying that they are that business. And then when they go to get the actual container, pick it up, there's never any order and they've just lost a lot of money. So a container can cost, a 20 foot container can cost easily $5,000. A 40 foot container can run you like 8K. So mm. like we were looking at buying like 30 of them. So it's a lot of money. Wow. Unreal. Make sure you, make sure you speak to people and do all that sort of due diligence on the business as well. And speak to yeah. the actual. Jump, jump on the phone. Get to, dialing. Jump on the phone. Yeah jump on the platform thank you very much andrew bean this has been a very insightful episode it's all about value i no one i haven't heard anyone speaking about commercial value ad, so thank you very much for jumping on mate that was epic. thanks very much no worries mate i promise that i blow your minds and i hopefully i did so a commercial <laughs> <You did>. property <laughs> you guys have a good See one you. there you guys thanks for listening to the episode I want to say thank you to the boys from the Oz Property Investors Group. They are absolute legends. Go check them out on Facebook. They do lives every single Wednesday. If you want to check out more of what I'm doing, go to www.andrewbean.com.au. You can download the free DIY cash flow kit. It gives you heaps of cool spreadsheets on how to calculate the returns on commercial property. And remember, in the words of Grant Cardone, be obsessed or be average. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Develop a Life production.